Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life, business, and retirement coaching support. I provide individual one-on-one session and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550, and our website can be found at lifecoachdanamsley.com. Today, I'm very excited to have for our fourth episode of season six, a very special guest, Holly Wharton. And just like every of my past episode, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Holly, the floor is yours. Hi, uh, thank you for having me. Sure. Um, so I'm originally from California. I lived in several different countries. I studied abroad in Spain. I taught English in Costa Rica. I lived in Mexico for eight years. Uh, lived in Argentina for five years, spent lots of time in Chile. And then about 11 years ago, I moved to England, which is where I live now. Um, so my life has been a nomad, multinational. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's been a, a great journey across several different countries and I've had many adventures along the way and I continue to have adventures. Well, so how, I mean, what kind of work do you do right now, Holly? <clears throat> so I'm a writer. Um, I've written uh, more than 25 books and workbooks. Um, I also help authors to publish their own books independently. I help them manage the project, get them published, get them marketed. Um, so I'm a publishing strategist and I'm also a translator. So I translate Spanish to English. Okay. And you mentioned before we uh, logged into this podcast that you were autistic and you got yes. diagnosed when specifically? Um, just under, it'll be seven years in August. So you've lived big portion of your life <clears throat> not knowing that you were uh, autistic. So what were the symptoms that you've experienced to say that for your doctor to say, oh yeah, you're pretty much into the spectrum of autism? So it was a long journey. You know, I mean, I, my entire life, I kind of had a sense that I was different, had a sense that I wasn't like other people. I found it a bit challenging to make friends, especially when I was in early elementary. I found some workarounds to kind of make it happen, but always kind of knew something was different. But no one talked about autism when I was a kid. It just wasn't a thing. And so I just didn't have the language to express what I felt was wrong. And it wasn't until must have been about a year before I got diagnosed that I read a blog post from this woman that I was following online. And she said, you know, coming out of the autism closet, I've been diagnosed with Asperger's. And I thought, oh, that's strange. And so I read her blog post and she described a bunch of things that she had been experiencing. She described her journey to diagnosis. And I thought, oh, that sounds really familiar. Like, like I resonated with a lot of the things that she was saying that she experienced. And so I just started doing more research and then I sought out a private diagnosis, got that, and then got an NHS diagnosis a few months later. And then my life changed. So what were some of the kind of signs and symptoms? Uh, I would say not, as I said, not really fitting in, having a lot of challenges making friends as a kid, um, 
one of the positive things that I always, my mind just automatically goes to the positive yeah. because I, the, the autistic brain just has some beautiful things about it. <laughs> like it's, I'm, I'm socially awkward sometimes. Like I misunderstand people. I have problems understanding um, auditory input. So like when I'm, when I'm in class, like kickboxing class, for example, and they give instructions verbally, like I don't hear that right. And I misunderstand and that can lead to awkward things. Um, <laughs> but but the beauty is I'm really good at hyper-focus, which is why I've been able to write so many books. Yes. Um, so I do a thing that I call the Workcation Weekend, where once a month I go to a hotel and just work on a creative project like a book. And so my brain has been really, really great at doing that. And once I learned more about autism and once I got the diagnosis and realized, okay, this is, this is who I am, this is how my brain works, I was able to kind of harness the power of my brain's weirdness in a good way. Okay. Okay. And uh, so now when it comes to the, the fact that when you were younger, you were not able to make friends or you're not able to, you know, uh, socially interact properly, like yeah. with the majority of us. Um, but well, first of all, were you diagnosed with Asperger syndrome or because it seemed to be more highly functional? Yeah. So I am definitely highly functional. So the first diagnosis that I got, the private diagnosis was Asperger's. Okay. But then the second diagnosis I got was after the DSM-5 came out and Asperger's is no longer a diagnosis. So it was just autism spectrum disorder. Okay. Okay. I see. Now, um, when come to the, the, the hyper-focus, as you mentioned, is it a part of uh, being uh, autistic? I mean, do they, I know that you have autistic savant, like the rain. Yeah. Man. Yeah, that's not me. Not <laughs> <laughs> numbers, okay. Um, but good with creativity, right? More into yeah. writing. So, what genre of book do you write? So, I write nonfiction. Uh, so, I've written four books about business mindset, and I've written several books about outdoor adventures and and the things that I do outdoors to help people connect with nature. Um, so, yeah. Okay. And what are the the biggest challenge as uh, being autistic? when it comes to dealing with um, the outside world? Because I know autistic people prefer solitude to a certain extent. Um, Which is why I think I'm so good at writing because yeah. it's it's the ideal lifestyle for me. And it's taken me decades to, to understand that. Um, I love working from home. I love working by myself in my office. I love working on stuff for hours at a time. So it's, it's you know taken me years, but I finally kind of found what works for me. Um, but in terms of challenges, I would say my first business was completely different. So before I became a writer, before I started writing books, I had a company in Latin America in the hospitality industry. So a business partner and I owned eco hotels. And that was completely the wrong kind of business for me. It was, it was like long days, which really stressed me out, which would stress anyone out. But for me, especially, it was just kind of, I was barely functioning some days um, just because of the stress levels and, and lots of contact with people, lots of customer service, lots of just handling problems, lots of managing people. And, and that was just, it was like, I was at the limit of my functioning for 10 years. And, and I think this is the perfect example of choosing a path that doesn't work and choosing a path that does work because I've, I've had both experiences and lifestyle is much better when I choose what works for my brain rather than, <laughs> rather than not knowing that, I, you know, 
how to take care of myself and how to make the best decisions for the way my brain functions. And that's how I got into that first business because I had no idea. I just jumped in it. Yeah. I see. And would you say that the challenges or the challenge that you still face when it comes to interacting with other people, is it something that is still hindering your progress or you still feel that now you're managing it better? You're able to kind of like uh, interact with the outside world without feeling like, oh boy, I'm overwhelmed, I'm kind of stressed, etc. How does that, uh, what kind of input do you get from that? That's a really good question. I think I've just kind of designed my life and my business so that it works for me. Um, and again, that's come from years of knowing myself and, and really paying attention to what works and what doesn't work and then kind of trying to tweak the details so that most aspects of my life do align with what I want and what helps me to thrive. Um, but I'm best working with big projects that I can kind of hyper-focus on, as I said, not so good at working on like, like lots of little projects and little things that you've got like lots of deadlines all the time and kind of managing those things. Because I, I, once I get into something, I really just get into it and I can just go for hours. So I, I know that I'm much better with bigger projects than smaller things. So when it comes to um, understanding uh, people's emotions and uh, do, you, do you have empathy for people yeah. suffering and all or this oh, absolutely. is being filtered? <laughs> <laughs> no, I absolutely have empathy. And I think, I, think, I think a lot of people with autism are very sensitive. And, and I think the problem is not so much not having empathy, but it's not, having, not always having the words to explain feelings. Um, and I think that's something that I've definitely learned over time. And I've something that I've learned over the work that I've done. I trained as a coach about 10 years ago and started on a really in-depth journey of personal development. And through that, I kind of learned the language to explain what I was experiencing and to understand what other people are experiencing. So I think, I think it's a matter of once you know the words, you can kind of express that. So when you got the diagnosis, uh, Holly, um, were you shocked or were you saying, oh, that's why I'm this way, or this is the reason why I've been dealing with all those yeah. intricacies in life, et cetera? Yeah, so was it, like yeah it, was the, it was the latter. It was like, oh, everything makes sense now. And I wasn't surprised because between the time I first started to think, maybe this is a thing that might describe me to the time I got the diagnosis. I did a lot of research. Okay. I did a lot of research into how autism presents in women, particularly because it can be very different in how it presents between males and females. And, and so I kind of knew, so it was just like, okay, so now I have a professional that has confirmed that my suspicions are correct. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I was able to look back and think, oh, so many things make sense. And how am I going to live my life now? Okay. Like, how am I going to make better decisions for myself? How am I going to make different decisions? How am I going to craft my life so that it's aligned with my special needs? I see. And are you OCD as well? No, no, I'm not. No, okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll go and, and kind of like wash your hand 2000 times or. No, 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 no. I have a family member who is, and I know what that's like. And okay. no. Okay, okay, I see. Definitely so, not. Did that cause any additional issues being autistic when it comes to uh, uh, general interaction with the public? Uh, when you did the, the hotel thing, did, did you see that you were not a good fit for that uh, position or because of all the customer service that was required? Did you feel like, 
oh God, it's too much for me to handle, too much like stimuli at the same time, etc. I mean, I think a part of me knew it was it was too much for me to handle, but I didn't see another option. It was like I'd gotten myself into this business, I'd gotten myself into that lifestyle, and I just had to keep going. And I just had to do what it took to get through each day and make it happen. And again, you know, I didn't know anything was different about me. So I, you know, it was like, I kind of forced myself to do what people do or be like everyone else, because I just thought that was what was expected of me rather than, you know, kind of taking care of myself and realizing that I do have different needs. And I think one question that people ask me a lot is, do I wish I'd been diagnosed earlier? And I don't know how to answer that question because on the one hand, it would have been great because I would have understood my needs and I would have made different decisions for myself, but then I might have kind of coddled myself and like stayed in my comfort zone and not done all of the things I've done in my life, assuming that I was just like everyone else. So it's hard to say. So do you think that your maturity level enabled you to handle the diagnosis better than it would, if it would have been done earlier in life? I think, yeah, I think so. Because I think by the time I got diagnosed, I knew myself fairly well. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this was just one more step of getting to know myself or getting to know another layer of myself. Um, ever since I trained as a coach, I was just really focused on getting to know who I am, where am I in life? What am I doing? What do I want from life? And just really knowing myself. And so this was kind of like adding a new layer to that. And, and I think it just made my life so much more rich. I see. Because now I just understand myself better. So um, Rena, you said that you were like an hour and a half away from London and all. Yeah. Um, beside being, doing writing and doing uh, coaching and all that, is there any other things that you are thriving to do or that you want to experience, especially that you've been nomading for so many years, yeah. going from one country to the other? Are you like, do you have any other places that you want to explore that you have, uh, that you're dreaming to do? Um, well, I love travel, but I especially love being outdoors. Mm -hmm. And I love walking long distance trails here in England. Um, I'm going to be walking the coast to coast in May with some friends. And I'm an ultra runner. I'm going to be running my first 100 mile race this year in August. Oh, 100 miles. <laughs> yeah. Last year I ran 100K and it was wonderful. So now I've decided to try 100 miles. <laughs> so oh. I just like being outdoors. Marathon of 26.2 miles. I mean, you're doing like four times a marathon almost? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So this is like a week thing or is it like a. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's all in one day. It's all in one go. Whoa. Okay. 100 miles. Yeah. That okay. <laughs> I, I'm just like for me, I, I never tried a marathon, so I really and I see how difficult that can be. Yeah. Like, times a marathon. I mean, this is like an average. What is like they, they finish a marathon in four hours, three hours or so? So you're gonna yeah, but a lot of yeah, a lot of marathons are uh road races, whereas a lot of ultra marathons are trail races, which means that they tend to take longer. Um, and I'm not a very fast runner, so the 100k race that I did last year took me 17 hours and 32 minutes. Okay, and now now you're going for the 100 miles, yeah. So the cutoff for 100. <laughs> 
the cutoff for 100 miles is um, 30 hours. So I hope to get it done in less than 30 hours. It's around 160 kilometers there. Yes. Okay. That's yeah. that's quite a feat that you're uh, setting yourself. So what do you yes. need to be able to get ready for that? I mean, are you running on treadmill 24-7? <laughs> no, I run outdoors. Um, I don't run on a treadmill because I want to run in similar environment to where I'm going to be running the race. Um, so, yeah, just running couple of shorter runs during the week and then one longer run on the weekend and just stretching that long run and we'll see how it goes. So on a day-to-day basis, I mean, um, what exactly is, how does your day look like? I mean, how do you put in your fitness part, your coaching, your writing, and how many books a year do you actually uh, pour out? (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good question. And I think dialing it back to the autism, I I really like to have everything organized. I am a very organized person. I live my life by Google Calendar and that's kind of what keeps me sane. (laughs) Um, Everything's color-coded, time-blocked. So I live by my calendar. So I block out, I do kickboxing three nights a week. So that's in my calendar. I have my runs three days a week in the calendar. Um, And then I have times for writing. I have times for working. I have times for answering emails. I have times for marketing. Like I have everything blocked out in the calendar. And of course, I I don't stick to that religiously. If something changes, I just drag and drop things around. But but I do make sure that I have time blocked out for all the things I need to do. So you didn't mention anything about time for fun. So do you include the, the running and all that as fun? Or yeah, running's, that, running's uh, fun for sure. Okay. And what about social? Yeah. Sorry? What about social? I mean, when it comes to going out with friends, et cetera, do you include that into your, uh, into your calendar or is it something that is not really priority? Um, it's something I include in my calendar I think less than I used to just because COVID has mixed things up so much and it's been harder to meet up with people. I planned a walk with some friends on um, Saturday. So we're going to go out and we're going to walk about 10 miles and just have a leisurely stroll around the hills where I live. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a catch up with friends. I do a lot of catch ups on on Skype or Zoom just because I have a lot of friends who are international. Um, So yeah, I do. I do block out time for that in my calendar. So what is your... uh like the next book that you're working on, or did you just finish one or you're about to finish one? I have actually taken a little bit of a break from writing because I was on a very strict publishing schedule for a while. I was publishing several books a year. Last year, I updated a few of my books and now I'm just kind of taking some time off to, to regroup and see what I want to work on next. Okay. And uh, when it comes to the, the, not amount of book necessarily, but the size of books, is it mostly like uh, more short reading or is it like we're talking about 300 page books? What exactly, how do you limit yourself to say, because I, I know as an autistic, there's never like an end to a book. You always want to add more and more and more information. So how do you know I got to stop this or else it's never going to end? Um, I actually haven't had that problem. I have different books of different lengths. I do have five short reads books that were designed to be read in about an hour, but most of them are full length books. You know, they're about 70,000, 80,000 words. So I've never actually had problems with that. It's, it's, it's like, I know what I want to say. I say it and, and then it's done. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I'm not, I, I've never really had problems with perfection. So I'm just kind of like, you know, obviously it goes through an editor and it's yes. reviewed and everything, but 
but when it's done, it's done. It's like, I just have kind of that gut feeling that like, okay, it's, it's, it's cooked. It's ready. It's ready to be served. So, I mean, you said that you've written 70 books. Is that correct? No, no, no. 25. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, so no, no, no. Ideas. I mean, how do you say one day that, Hey, you know what? This topic has not yet been covered. Let me do it. Is that something or is it something that you have to really research about the topic, et cetera? So how do you come up with those titles and how do you come up with the idea of a book? I have a never ending stream of ideas. <laughs> I actually have an Evernote file with all of my book ideas because I have more ideas than I have time to write books. Okay. So, so ideas just pop into my head. Like I might be talking about something or doing a podcast episode or, or having a conversation with a friend or just being on a run and I have an idea and I'll, if I'm out in a run, I email myself just so I don't forget it when I get back. And then it goes into my system. And, and then whenever I go on my workation and I'm ready to write a new book, I just sit down and look at the list and I pick one and I start working on it. So for all the listeners out there that are listening to this podcast, those who are thriving authors, what would you recommend them when it comes to um, the orders that they have to start taking when they want to, when they have an idea of writing a book is there like a specific structure that you follow or kind of like a roadmap and then they will be able to end up writing it because a lot of people they know what to write about but they just don't know how to get about it so what would mm. your organized mental way to be able to get started and finished obviously because they can get yeah. they can start but they never finish a book yeah um so i would say first of all start out with some kind of structure like write down your chapter headings or your chapter titles, your chapter topics, write down a structure, know that that's probably going to change. Be ready to drag and drop and move things around and delete things and add things, but start out with some kind of structure so you know what needs to be said on the topic. I mean, I'm assuming we're talking about nonfiction. So your reader who knows nothing or knows a little about this topic, what do they need to know? What do you want to tell them? And what's the purpose of your book? Like, do you want to inform them? Do you want to inspire them? Do you want to motivate them to do something? Like, what sh what's your reader going to get out of this book? So there's some kind of background foundational work that you need to do before you get started writing. And then in terms of making sure that it gets done, set yourself a deadline. Okay. You know, know when you want to finish it and then and then know how you work best. So I do my workations. I've actually written a book about workations because I love it so much and I want everyone to give it a try. Try something like that. Go to a hotel, go somewhere for two uh -huh. days and, and intensively work on something that might work for you. It might not. Some people like to get up two hours early and work before they do everything else. Find what works for you, but just play around and find your best method of writing. So how would you tell everyone how to deal with writer's block? What mm. is the best way to be able to go around that and not let writer's block stop you from pursuing uh, this book and finishing it? Because mm. I mean, I wrote 10 books and it could be quite frustrating. So yeah. something that you would recommend the most. Well, I think you need to figure out what kind of block it is. I mean, I think sometimes people have an ambitious goal to write a book and they literally don't have enough time in their schedule because they've got a family, they've got kids, they've got a partner, they've got work, they've got business, they've got so many things going on. They just don't have much extra time. Yeah. So if you don't, if it's a problem with time, then change your goal, give yourself a new deadline, find a new way to fit it into your schedule. However, I find that a lot of times writer's block isn't a time-based problem. It's a mindset problem. It's either I'm not good enough 
or who am I to be writing this book or what will people think or what if I get bad reviews or what if people hate me or what if they think I'm a snob or mm-hmm. what I it's mindset stuff. It's the fears, it's the blocks, it's the limited beliefs. So I would say, get clear on what your fears are. Like what's the worst that can happen? What are all the dark places that your mind is going to when you think about publishing this book? Write that all down in your journal, make a list of it, whatever, and then do mindset work to change those beliefs, whether it's with a coach or a, an NLP practitioner or a psyche facilitator or someone who works with shifting beliefs, do the work to shift those beliefs because that stuff just gets in the way and stops you from doing all the things you want to do. So it's like, have you felt being like going through the imposter syndrome as well, Holly? Absolutely. I mean, especially in the beginning books when you didn't have any clue about what will be the reviews or will be this yeah. and I might be able to teach others when I'm dealing with autism myself, et cetera. Is there something that stopped you from actually doing or progressing in your, uh, in your author lifestyle? Mm. I think it obviously got easier the more books I wrote and it obviously got easier after I did the first one. Okay. Um, and it also got easier after I got my first bad review. Um, because it's like once, like, you know, it's going to happen because everyone gets a bad review because you can't appeal to everyone. That's just life. So what, you know, you have this fear, what, what, what are they going to say? What is this one star review going to be? Like you build it up in your mind and then it happens and you're like, oh, it's not big a deal. Like a lot of times people who, who write one star reviews are not in a good place themselves. And so they write kind of awful things that you can tell is very emotionally charged and it really doesn't have anything to do with you. It has to do with them. So, so it's, it's just not that bad. And I think once you get that negative review and you get over it, it's like, Oh, well, yeah, may as well just keep writing. Cause that was fine. <laughs> um, now just to, uh, to see when it comes to being autistic and when it comes to um, everything that you've gone through in your life, Holly, mm-hmm. what would you say that the best benefit of being autistic brought into your life? It's that hyper-focus and it's understanding that I had that skill because I think I naturally did it sometimes, but I didn't, I didn't realize that it was like an autistic superpower. So, so I didn't know how to harness the power of that aspect of my mind. You know, sometimes I would just get working on something and I would get lost and then I wouldn't hear phone calls. I wouldn't notice what was going on around me, but I didn't, I didn't realize that was a thing that I could use to my advantage. And once I did understand that it was like, Oh, now I can get stuff done. So more efficiently with great, with great powers come great responsibilities right yeah yeah okay so in in retrospect of this what would be the the biggest weakness in being autistic hmm. um that's a really good question i'm not sure what to say i mean i guess i guess just that awkwardness you know not always knowing not not, expecting people to be literal and they're not like neurotypical people speak in different nuances and if you don't say it straight out to me with no filters I might not understand what you're saying (laughs) so (laughs) I I think I think for me that's the that's that's my biggest weakness is people say things and I'm like oh okay and then like a week later I'll be like oh that's what they meant (laughs) <laughs> do you understand sarcasm much 
or not? Yes, I do. I do. Okay. But, I guess but, you do, but that's most important. I, I think it's more like when people aren't direct communicators and they kind of dance around the topic and they don't say it, but they say it in a way that I guess other people might understand. But yes. for me, it's just kind of like, woo, goes over my head. And <laughs> I see. Okay. Well, that's that in itself, you sharing to everyone, to all the listeners about what are the biggest strengths or weaknesses is something that for many who have been diagnosed with the autism, life doesn't end. You know, actually it all- No, on the contrary. Now, yes, it begins. It helps you understand yourself better and kind of yeah. like it's, a, it's an awakening. It's, yes. That's basically what uh, a lot of people feel. But yeah. on that note, Holly, uh, that is all the time that we have for today's epic episode. And I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule of being a coach, of being a writer, of running 160 kilometers marathon, for <laughs> <laughs> participating and inspiring many listeners with your incredible story. Now, we hope that you've all enjoyed today's episode. And I'm very excited about the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for season six of the Happiness Journey podcast, filled with inspirational stories, just like the one that you're listening to today. Now, here are some concluding words of wisdom. Here are 10 things that will change your life in 2022. First, stop complaining and appreciate how lucky you are every day. Two, embrace loneliness and reinvent yourself in the process. Three, say goodbye to the people who don't bring you positive energy into your life. Four, Stop wasting time on social media, trying to compare yourself to others who are living a fake, lavish life. Five, pick one skill you want to cultivate and put all your effort into developing it. Six, commit your goals you set and never look back. Seven, exercise, stay active, and eat healthy to extend your quality of life. Eight, fail forward. Learn from every mistake you make. Nine, Never regret the things you did in life, but mostly the ones you always wanted to do, but you found excuses for not pursuing them. And finally, 10, try not to control everything in your life as you never expect lots of disappointment. My name is Dr. Dan Amzalag, and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.